You're listening to an XM Productions podcast. Okay, Rachel, PG-13. PG-13. No, PG, Rachel, PG. What? We're rolling. Okay, welcome to Moody and D. My name is Rachel Sanders. I will have the rest of the table introduce themselves. I'm Reese Amstutz. I'm the DM for Moody and D. And I'm Christian Majewski, also known as Klaus. Sweet. This is a new series called Moody and D Gone Rogue. We have some players from the original campaign of Moody and D. And now it's time for open questions. Yeah, so uh, we're going to kind of co-host this for now, Rachel. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, it's a new show. We're developing the concept, and that's just one of the best parts about this is it's kind of improv. Um, we're figuring it out. Yeah. Slowly. We could almost call this Moody and D unscripted, if you will, but also the original show's not scripted either. Um, <laughs> so essentially uh, what we're going to do today is we're going to discuss uh, – elements of the show, character questions, etc. Each of us have procured a series of questions. Today we're discussing episodes one through four, and uh, we're going to roll d20s to determine who rolls, or who asks their questions first. So, shall we all roll a d20? Let's go. Let's do it. Oh, oh Nat 20. Nat 20! Dang it. Okay, Christian, you're up first. Uh, do you have a question from episode one or no? I have a bunch of questions relating. Rachel, I should be letting. Rachel, I should be letting you do all the host stuff. I know, dude. Sorry, I do it naturally. I'll stop. Stop it. Huh. Do you have any questions for episode one? <laughs> Not really for episode one per se, but I have a question that I did want to kind of bring up because some people might be wondering about it. Bring it. It's kind of a question zero. Uh. <laughs> Pun. Um, why D and D? Why do we like D&D, and why did we decide to do a D&D podcast? So is this question directed this is like the two of us, sort of? It's kind of directed at you, okay? because it was the podcast was originally your idea. I kind of... I had no, nothing to no. do with it. The question... The, the, this is actually a fun little, fun little piece of uh, XN radio I history. I didn't even know that. Uh, the show was not my idea. The show was Austin Murphy and Ryan Hansen's idea, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, wow. Uh, Austin Murphy is the guy who does Collateral Creatives on XN Radio. You should absolutely check that out. It is on Spotify as well as uh, alongside Moody and D. Uh, and then Ryan, he's our uh, president. Long live of, Ryan. Of XN Radio. Uh, and so it was their idea. And I just happened to hear through the grapevine that someone wanted to start a D&D podcast. And I said... To tell me to talk to whoever I need to talk to in order to become the DM of that show. That's honestly hilarious because I came to like the meeting right after that one, and I and Ryan just kind of dropped D and D podcast. I stopped him, didn't like, didn't even let him finish his sentence, and I was like, I'm on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So assert yourself. <laughs> yeah. So we really didn't like it. wasn't It wasn't my idea. Um, but I absolutely loved the idea because it's a wonderful art form. Like for me, the whole reason I want to get involved is A, I love D&D, but I love it. And I talked a little bit about this on Collateral Creatives. Um, but I love it as an art form, as a communicative uh, community storytelling art form. And so that's one of the reasons that I absolutely love it. And the reason that I just hopped right on it the second I was in. But now I'm curious, you know, for you, uh, what, what about this was just so instantaneously, you know? Well... I feel like the surface answer would definitely be, oh, I've been looking for a group for like two years and then finally something happened. But the truth is why D&D for me is, um, hmm. I've always looked, from since I was a kid, I was looking for kind of a place where I could let my imagination flow. Mm -hmm. And I believe in imagination as being the ultimate creator. 
because God gave us our imagination kind of ensued of his ability to create. That's at least how I kind of look at it. Mm. And D&D is the place where we can let our imagination run wild. And I feel like it's D&D and role-playing games in general, it's just such a formula that people have stigmatized and yet it's so amazing in its just art form, kind of like what you said. And so that's why I love D&D because I can create a character who is kind of like me, but it's not me, and kind of explore the world through their eyes. Yeah. I don't have much of a connection to D&D. I didn't know it was an active thing until I probably met Reese. <laughs> and he's like, I play D&D. And I was like, oh, you're a royal nerd. Um. Guilty as charged. <laughs> royal nerd. I am I'm king of nerds. But he told me like all about like those like imagination parts, like what you went into, and I was like, oh, I did that as a kid, and it's kind of fun to think about, cause like I would play imaginary with my friends, and they would have a character like mine, be like, no, you can't have that, that's my thing, and so it's just like how it all connects, and just like working that inner child in you again, and just embracing it. Yeah, yeah, embracing that inner child is also just a, a really weird uh, element of Christian culture today, because you know, even if you look at. Um, you know, Christians, uh, especially due to, and I talk about this all the time, uh, the satanic panic of the 1980s, everybody was afraid of mm-hmm. basically everything in imagination was capital amongst the things that we generally feared. That's so weird um, to think about. It is really weird to fear, uh, think about, uh, but I even know people who have, like, I've talked to them and they're like, yeah, I'm rediscovering the concept of imagining and imagination as a good thing because imagination used to be a bad thing in their minds. It's and that's so weird. kind of understandable because, I mean, humans are terrible yes and where does that come from it comes from our imagination we can imagine i mean Mm -hmm. klaus is not far from that yeah he is a concept of my imagination the things that he does came from my head yeah right be careful how far you go with klaus i have questions for him (laughs) (laughs) oh don't worry i'm not just touching upon it but kind of showing the concept that obviously we're going to be afraid of our imagination because we're terrible terrible people yeah but that doesn't mean that everything about it is bad yeah right it's also weird to think about because i'm assuming both of you i know you did you grew up in a christian home i'm assuming nope oh you and i came from similar backgrounds then because like my mom and my dad always encouraged like use your imagination figure out what you want like create a world you want Mm. and then i came here and i was like no don't think about those things those are evil and i'm like at this point i'm a christian and i'm like no god Mm. was created when he created us yes we're in his image and there's a baseline of good and yes, we're narrowly evil, but we have to channel that imagination to understand mm-hmm. what it means to be a creator. Like you mm. created Klaus. You're proud to have Klaus. Even though he's a bit of a butt some days. <laughs> I'm sorry. One way, to, one way to say it. I'm, it's I'm filtered. Not say I'm no. trying. <laughs> <laughs> there are many words to describe Klaus. <laughs> Magnificent is one of them, I'm sure. Um, okay. I thought that was his word for himself. <laughs> That's a self description. I don't know if God would describe us as magnificent, so I'm glad you're not <laughs> Well, I think there are people who would also <laughs> dispute that. Yeah, I was going to say, there are definitely people who dispute that God would look at us and call us magnificent. I think. I he mean, he d- he, at the very least, he looked at us and called us good. That's when it. He, when he made us, he was like, <laughs> actually good. Actually, very good. And That's then we true. fell. That is true. And yeah. then we had sin, and he's like, now y'all embrace evil. Good job, guys. <laughs> you mucked it up. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> I leave you alone. No, he never did. Uh- he's still here. He walks by us <laughs> oh, daily. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and the funny thing is with, like, what you were saying, um, one of the things that we most adore about God is his creative intent. Mm -hmm. The seven-day creation process 
is one of like the greatest Christian stories, right? Yeah. And yet for some reason, when we are trying to be creative in the image of God, Imago Dei. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is a theology podcast. Sorry, guys. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, that's half of what we do here, though. Because that is very true. We're giving legitimacy to the concept of using Dungeons and Dragons as a method to convey the gospel. Exactly. That's what we're doing here. The gospel does not have limits. No, it does not. No, it does not. D does not stop it, guys. Come on. Neither does sin. <gasps> what? <laughs> what just happened? I don't know. He said okay. something that will scare some very interesting Christians. I want to know. No, no, you heard him. I He's, did. Yeah, oh. I just said sin. Oh, yes. we don't talk about sin. No, no, no. <laughs> Not even sure we can technically air something like that because Sorry. of copyrights or whatever. I, I didn't finish it. it I don't know seconds. how copyrights work. I'm just going to put that out there. I we're no also not idea. making money off of this. No, we're not. That's true. That's true. We're not selling it, so we're good. I also so. did it for less than five seconds, and it was definitely off pitch. Yeah, yeah, it was. Ouch. My voice is off pitch. I'm a bachelor's of music major, okay? I'm going to say when something's <laughs> off pitch, okay? I think he judges my Reese voice. Is, <laughs> Reese is being nice right now, guys. I am being kind right now. <laughs> he struggles with that some days. Just kidding. I am... I try to be nice. I try. Then I talk. That's true. <laughs> Being nice is not an easy thing, I know. No, it's not. I agree. And I'm I tried like I'm literally giving up like making jokes about people for Lent. That's like, awesome. I think people do stuff on purpose now. Mm-hmm. And I can't say anything. Well, I don't do stuff on purpose. I did that before. <laughs> okay, should we roll again? Let's do it. I love it. Alright. I swear if you roll highest again. I got eight. You rolled the highest again. Can we All not right. allow him to roll? Yeah, how about that? You're not sure. Let's do that. Yeah. Seven. Okay, you ask your question. Do you got one for episode one or not? I do not. I'm going okay. straight into episode two. Okay, go for it. It's for Klaus. Okay. One of the first few interactions between you and the characters, were you being a bit uh were you being scrutinized by the rest of them? Do you feel like this helped your character develop his want for power and respect or fed into his idea of false authority? Um, Such a good question. Very good also question. I'm talking to your mic when you ask questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to scoot this closer. You can also lift up your chair. If yeah, happens. or like drop the mic if it's too high for you. Why the heck do you do that? Um, Those ones you can't drop. That, you can't drop them? That's I as thought, short as can it Can I gets. put this in my lap? Okay. Yes. Okay. okay. I take these things off the table all the time. But I'm doing How this. How dare you? Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a very good question. Big disclaimer here. Um, I dread it listening to the first two episodes. And <laughs> I listen. so funny. So as as much of um, as stupid as that might sound, I listen to Moo D&D every week. That's Same. awesome. I listen to that's the, the episodes. That's stupid. That's good. Some people were like, wait, you're listening to your own voice? And I was like, yes, of course I'm listening to my own voice. You have to know your content voice. to keep going. That yeah. does mean, though, that, that one of our listeners on the counter thing is just it's him. <laughs> <laughs> that stinks, but okay. But, yeah, um, in my original thing, I never listened to episode one and two. Oh. Ah. Because the concept of Klaus that I brought to the table on session zero <laughs> was... <laughs> completely different from what he ended up being oh yeah he I was, love he how was, he turned out though yeah i love it too and he, so he was very different though he was he he okay um a little bit of a backstory on klaus the concept for the character started with the voice <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's it you started with the voice. seriously i started really? with the voice 
when my wife and I, we first moved to, to the United States, we had to quarantine for two weeks and we had just finished our second watch through of Scrubs. So we were looking for a new show. Okay. And I saw on American Netflix that they had Vampire Diaries. Oh my, <laughs> no, get out. Okay, A show going. I used to watch when I was like 15. I loved that show. Um, and so I looked at it and the edgy teenager in me said, hey Katya, wanna watch this with me? And so we started watching it and we kind of fell in love with it. And I especially fell in love with one character. It's leaving the show, uh, Netflix. Klaus. Oh. Actually? Yes. And when they first name dropped him, the funny thing was for me, in my mind, growing up with like watching German TV and stuff like that, yeah. Klaus is always kind of like the funny old game, uh, old guy name that right. you give someone. So they name drop him. They don't show him. They don't show any of his actions. And I just turn to my wife and I go, mm, yes, I am Klaus, the German vampire, quiver before my power. And that's it. That's where Klaus. That's where Klaus started. <laughs> I love Vampire Diaries so much oh more than before now. Okay, so from there, how did you get to your race in your class then? Um, I love Tieflings. I think that they're amazing, just okay. flavor characters. And class, I was thinking, okay, how can I make that into a D&D &D character? How about I make a bard that inspires people by commanding them? Because he thinks that he's so much better than everybody else. So I went with bard. Um, That's hilarious. And so, yeah, I remember, <laughs> I remember session zero and it's, it was interesting to me because I remember leaving that room absolutely fuming. I was so angry. Yeah. Be well, we had conversations about that. We had, we had a couple of conversations afterwards. Uh -oh. I was, I was absolutely furious. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I wasn't mad at Prof Mac, Sam or Reese. Sure, I felt like in the beginning, I felt a little like they were pushing it, not necessarily pushing it, but like ganging up on me. Hmm. And I felt like the little foreigner in the corner that doesn't really know what to do. Yeah. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, OK, obviously they're going to react that way because of the character that Klaus turned out to be. Yeah. Because I basically turned him into a Nazi. And yeah, that I, was a big issue in the first episode. <laughs> like in episodes one and two. Let's was, just say that I, there is a couple of... A I couple. did a lot of editing on that what? episode. I want to see those. There were several occasions where we were like, Klaus is too close to a Nazi. Like, and like had a lot of like... Uh, the German accent is really what made it problematic. Yeah. Because he has, you know, like even uh, in more recent episodes, he calls uh, Bran Fleshbag. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only like that's because he has uh, derogatory perspectives on certain races, and for him, it's a lot of like the the naturally like mundane races, like humans. Actually, it's mm. you get to decide whether you reveal any backstory. I am stuff not or... gonna reveal anything. Okay, right cool. Here. Uh, but he has things that appear to be derogatory, uh, or even like looking at the uh, uh, in the first uh, episode, there were several scenes where he was speaking with lizard folk and considered himself uh, racially higher. And we had to edit that out mm -hmm. because we realized with the German accent, now we've got problems. And, and also, so I I didn't necessarily want it to sound that way. Right. That was not my Precisely, original that intent. That was never your intent. And so we had to adjust because we had to look at, okay, how are people going to receive this? Yeah. And then make adjustments so that it was actually fitting with what his intention was. And so kind of to answer your original question, Klaus's authoritative kind of demeanor was not always there, but it was definitely there long before he ever arrived at Kaizo. Mm-hmm. 
And so them ganging up on him kind of just maybe didn't solidify, but perpetuated the idea of the fact that he can't trust them. Hmm. Okay. Yep. Um, Reese? Yeah, I was going to say, kind of based off of that, one of my questions I had listed here. Um, I've got it listed, um, just the whole concept of... Um, you've expressed before that Klaus believes he's evil, but you've also expressed before that he is not technically evil. I keep going back and forth on that because even with his alignment, I know that he's somewhere in the lower right corner, but I can't pin him down. Right, right. Somewhere in that that like almost evil, neutral, but always chaotic sort of space. That's the thing. I'm not even sure if he's always chaotic. Okay, interesting. Like because he has like internalized laws and strictures, but or rather for himself right, for in himself. a way. Right. But they don't apply to anyone else. Right, and that's the issue with the uh, with the alignment system is it's mm-hmm. uh, you know it's more of a universal system for something that's very subjective. So yeah, so I don't want to say that he's neutral. I do also don't want to say that he's chaotic or evil. Right. So, but he's definitely somewhere in that lower right. side of that spectrum. Right. Precisely. Um. Yeah, and that also just kind of comes from again Klaus from TVD from Vampire Diaries. Because um, he is the ultimate vampire. He is the kind of amalgamation of all evil. At the end of the series, they even call him Klaus the Great Evil. And so with my fascination of, vil- of villains and a lot of things that I just love and I really wanted Klaus to kind of be that presence. Yeah. And later on, he becomes that. And you don't even know how happy that made me. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't. I'm not going to talk about later episodes, but yeah. Yeah. Later, he becomes that. And I was so happy. Yeah. So can I ask, because um, I've done something like this before, as a Christian who is uh, who has a strong moral structure, who has strong moral sense, what is it like playing a character who believes he's evil, who makes decisions that are self-centered, who makes decisions that are not uh, that do not imply Christian or good uh, moral compass or system? What's that like, and how did you like? How did you even make the decision? to choose a character like that I have that's, to, that's a difficult thing to do I have to think about the answer without condemning myself okay <laughs> um, ah let's screw it let's go I don't have a very strong moral compass okay my, I myself I know I would relate to that I know just from my past and from many things that I did in my past, conscience has never really been an issue for me. Same. Um, And so when I became a believer, a lot of my morality came from just sitting down, reading the Bible and understanding, okay, this is what God deems as good. Hmm. I don't, but God does. So yeah, I don't have a very strong moral compass. A lot of my understanding of morality came from as a Christian, when I already became a believer, sitting down, reading the Bible and seeing, okay, this is what God deems is good. This is what in his eyes is good. Because obviously society has their rules, but early on in my life, I realized society doesn't dictate anything. Anybody yeah. can do it, whatever they want. And so I really wanted to play an evil character. Um, I wanted the evil character to still work in the campaign without being kind of a hinder for everybody else. Yes, which I really appreciate as a DM because it's hard having an evil character in your party. Yeah, I'm right now playing 
uh, I, I right now have a campaign that I'm running, and they're basically all murder hobos, and it's really difficult Ugh. to kind of yeah, balance that. Yeah, it's so hard. See, when players do things like that, I'm like, okay, fine. You're running from the police, and they're on your tail for a very long time until you decide to change what you're doing. Yeah, basically. Uh, and I'm probably going to do that with them, but... Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, kind of trying to answer your question, Klaus especially as a Christian, as someone who is trying to keep that morality high for myself. Yeah. And I have certain convictions that I will never be, will never break, but I also have certain things that I will never be able to overcome in a, in, in their full form. Right. Um, this side of heaven. Yeah. yeah. Klaus is my way of just going ham. Okay. Klaus is my way of getting almost like the angst out a little bit in a way but also an amazing case study between nature versus nurture between um so i uh i'm sorry that i'm my my answers are so long but you're fine there's a lot of thoughts keep going there's this thing that i like to call the silent understanding of things words cannot express it's that feeling that's it's kind of the description that i give to that feeling that we have deep inside of us when we read a story or when we play a game or when we watch a movie and it resonates with us but we can't really put a label on it yeah i feel like what you're describing like really does pull what we've been talking about all together like we talked like why do we play D? Mm-hmm. it's because this is how we express this is how we're able to get our words at what we're yeah. thinking and feeling and it's just like how do we see you and i have an off moral compass is what i say because i also didn't come from a christian family and mm-hmm. it's like, now that I am one, how often do I do these good things by God's word, but I do it for my self-satisfaction, I'm a good person, and does mm-hmm. that turn it into sin? Yeah. Yeah, that's also another thing, you know, looking at, yeah, see, I grew up in a Christian household, and so this is like a completely, you know, foreign concept to me, a lack of a moral compass, and I'm also, I'm the oldest. Mm-hmm. And so my moral compass is, I almost call it too strict. Mm-hmm. Because for me, my set of rules allows for basically no space outside of perfection. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we almost come from two opposite ends of the spectrum. So I once built a character similar to Klaus who basically had, like, I intentionally built him with an incorrect moral system Mm -hmm. because I wanted to challenge. And I eventually had to leave that character because I just couldn't do it. But I was, yeah, that's just what I was curious. And for me, I can't, every single character I build always is either on the neutral or chaotic side. I'm just, it's so hard for me to create a character that's good. Yeah. Um, because I don't know how to play that. Yeah. Yeah, it's not intuitive. And make it compelling. Yeah, and that's a hard part with d is you have to, like, if you want to make a compelling story, uh, both for you and for anybody in your party, um, and in this case for any listeners, mm-hmm you have to do something that you're familiar with or at least vaguely familiar with you know this is i talk about this all the time uh but every D character anybody creates is either a fraction reflection or projection of themselves yeah and so yeah yeah and so i guess klaus just kind of tickles that silent understanding of things words cannot express that i'm feeling inside of me where i can kind of let the thoughts that are constantly in my mind that i know are evil let them out and have no kind of real life repercussions because of it yeah yeah to to express that and get it out of you um but then also like there is the element of like klaus does suffer consequences for the actions he Mm -hmm. takes yep and so uh it's a space where you get to process through that but then once again are reaffirmed in the what uh what 
uh, is declared to be uh, right and wrong exactly by the social constructs of the game mm-hmm. and by the reactions of the other players uh, it allows you to get that out of your head but then it also uh, reinforces what we know to be good and true yeah and I kind of wanted to give the other players and you as a DM the chance to like kind of perpetuate the gospel theme that we're going for yeah I think because sure the villains are evil and they're always evil what if one of your party members is evil yeah what do you do with that how do you reconcile that kind of person or do yeah. not reconcile them at all yeah I feel like this idea really just points out in scripture like scripture says like everything will come to light and I feel like you putting that in your character it sh- brings to light like I have this evil desire that is what I know yeah, which we all have I mean, that's the yeah. intu- that's the natural intuition of every human. And I just think yeah. it's a good picture. And yeah. I, I have no words. I, I think this, I love how this conversation's going. Yeah. Yeah. And I one of the things I just I love the fact that nobody in the party created a perfect character because mm-hmm. it's so it's such a strong temptation of anybody creating a D and D character. Like especially those people who like have naturally very strong moral compasses. Mm-hmm. It's such an such a natural drive to want to create a completely flawless character who is the idyllic hero. Mm-hmm. And absolutely none of you created that, which I love. You mm-hmm. all came to the table with your character's baggage, um, with the internal backdrive of aiming to see that baggage worked out in the game and to see that narrative come to full completion in reflection of the gospel and reflection mm-hmm. of uh, consecration and sanctification and all that. Exactly. And that's honestly also one of the parts that I think is beautiful about D&D. It gives you a chance to to create a perfect, not a perfect, a beautiful character story. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's why I always fit better as a player than as a DM. Yeah. Because I love creating a character that is complex. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I mean, even looking at, um, looking at Klaus, like you talk about, um, like some people would immediately question, well, if you're already saved, what's the value in, you know, essentially replaying it? And one of the things that I say to that is immediately, well, look at look at Dungeons and Dragons, an inherently, or not necessarily inherently, but typically secular field. Mm-hmm. This is a way for us to share the gospel, mm-hmm. share the concepts of the gospel, with those who otherwise would not engage with the gospel. Yeah. One of the th- one of the things that I feel fairly strongly about is the fact that the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPG uh, community is relatively considered an unre- or could relatively be considered an unreached, unreached. people group. Mm-hmm. Because ever since the Satanic Panic, Christians have essentially written them off as something we don't engage with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is a way that we can actually show them in a way that, like, up until this point, it wouldn't necessarily have been obvious, uh, up until the airing of this episode, that Moody and D is a Christian show. Now, obviously, we've got the name Moody tacked on top of it. We've got the name Moody Bible Institute associated with it. And so, obviously, everybody who watches the show and knows anything about Moody understands that we're a Christian show. Mm-hmm. But even those outside of us, um, like, very quickly when we released Moody and D, I saw followers who I could not, I don't think they're Christian at all. <laughs> and they watch the show. Yeah. They listen to the show. And That's this is a awesome. way for us to show the gospel yeah. through that. And yeah. I was a listener from the beginning, cause, like that's how I got to know Reese a little that's bit, yeah. and just kind of hear about him, what he loves. And it wasn't obvious that it was a Christian. Show. Like, yeah, I go to Moody. I know the purpose of Moody and everything we produce is to reflect the gospel and who Jesus is. But I, it wasn't so obvious. It's like, oh, that's really interesting about this character, and it's not gonna be like prevalent until mm-hmm. this episode comes out. It's like, right. oh, 
this is their mission behind this and whose hearts are going to be changed because of this idea. Mm -hmm. Precisely. Like, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's me also just as a creator in general i strive to some to create something exactly like this mm -hmm. i don't like christian media i Same. think most of it is terrible because it it's all created at christians yep which yeah. is so counterintuitive we need to be creating what why do people turn to tv podcasts youtube and so on for entertainment yep not to be yelled at yeah right. and so we need to create gateways for people to right. stumble upon this look at it be like okay intrigued by it and then look further deeper into this right yep yeah. we can't be such an isolated bubble of like this is for christians no our goal is to reach the unreached right yeah and that the unreached is outside of moody yep. it's our followers that have never heard of moody like moody students are not our mission yep yeah, yeah. it's not the white soccer moms Heck, well, unless you're out there. Please love Jesus. <laughs> uh, do we want to roll into the question? Yeah, let, Um, or should we just keep going or have him ask another one? I have a couple of questions. Yeah, sure. Let's, let's keep looping. Go for let's it. Let's do it. For you, Mr. Reese. Okay. Um, I'll just ask all of these questions together. It's a couple of questions mixed sure, into yeah. one. Um, how did you come up with your world? Okay. Where did the idea come from? Um, why Kaizo and Dakaya? So what is kind of unique about the area? How did you create it? Why did you create why it? Why did I pick that? Why did I make why did you pick it, but also how did it come to be? Okay. Yeah. Um and why lizard folk? Okay. Okay. So there's a lot there. Yeah. Um first thing you asked, where did the entire thing come from? Where did the world come from? So first thing, important element. Dakaya is a small portion of a much larger planet called Orbitura. Mm -hmm. Dakaya is a fraction. Um, Dakai is just one continent of many. Mm -hmm. um, the world Orbitura was actually born out of uh, my desire to play D&D, but lack of ability to do so, because I discovered Dungeons & Dragons two days before I went home for spring break when they locked us down. Mm -hmm. Two days. 2020. I discovered it March 4th of 2020. What Shout out to all of my 2020 lovers. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I discovered it went home uh, I discovered it through Critical Role um, went home watched the show loved D&D and basically had absolutely no avenue to play because I didn't know anybody who played and everybody was locked down mm -hmm. and so what I started doing is I was like well you know what I'm just going to start building a world because I ain't never heard of Exandria which is Matthew Mercer's world mm -hmm. and so I'm going to create one and so I just I had drawn out a map earlier that year. Or I've got a massive map for Arbitura. Um, and I, I draw maps all the time. Maps are one of my favorite things in the world. Um, and so I drew out this massive world map. And I was like, you know what? I haven't done anything with that yet because I've got piles of them. I was like, you know, I'll just adapt this one into a new world. And so I started creating spaces, creating things. Um, and so my next question as I was world building is, well, how do I fit all, I think it's, I think we're up to like 63, 64, 65 playable races in D&D &D 5e. How do I fit them into a world? Okay, well, you know what? Uh, humans developed differently based on the section of the world they were in and the environments they encountered. I'll split them across the world based on common features. So, for example, every single animalic race, anything that shared animal features, uh, such as the Leon and the lizard folk, the kobolds, I sort of took them and put them all in one section of the world called that Ferda, um, and then, you know, separated. So, Dakaya is the world that has all of the fey-like creatures. And I was like, okay, 
what caused them to all be like this then? Because if they're they're all very very different, something mm-hmm. had to cause them to be like this. Um, and obviously, I am a I as a person as a Christian, I'm not going to use evolution tactics to imply their existence. So we have the beautiful power of magic. <laughs> yep. And so what I did is I was like, you know what I've never seen before? A world where all of the planes are essentially connected. Mm-hmm. And so what I did is I then said, okay, I'm going to fit all these races in here. I've already separated them. They're now separated by the way the planes are breaking through. And so Dakaya had all the fake creatures. And so you know what I said? The Feywild, over, the Feywild is sort of overflowing in that particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, Omer- That's so interesting. Yeah. Omercel, which is a, uh, a country uh, or continent, uh, it's built up of two main islands, a uh, very large one called Mercel and the smaller one named O, literally just smash the names together, um, is uh, overflowing with, uh, it's got holes and portals and portals to the Shadowfell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that place is overflowing with lots of uh, necrotic energies, uh, which is where uh, you get a lot of like uh, a lot of different uh, like the the concept of uh, vampires are something mm-hmm. that are very common to the Shadowfell, and so they're something that are pre- prevalent in Omercel. Uh, then we look at like Ferda. Ferda is the country that I had mentioned earlier that has all of the animal races, and all of those animal races developed. Uh, or became an element of their worlds because Ferda is overflow overflows with the four elemental planes: earth, air, wind, and fire. Or mm-hmm. no, earth, air, uh, fire, and water. Um, and so those were things that became an element of them based on the magic that was suffused into the area. Mm-hmm. Um, then I've got another one called Wielf. Uh, Wielf uh, is overlapping with the Dream Plane. And so all of their stuff uh, overlaps with dreams. And so races like the Kalashtar, uh, which are come from the realm of dreams and, mm-hmm. you know, etc. Uh, and so that's where the whole idea for the world came from. Then uh, Dakaya was really just the first place I started. That's 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 why it's there. I have a 188 page document regarding Dakaya right hmm. now. Um, and I'm working on developing other continents right now. So like I, uh, I run a second campaign in Dakaya, uh, and the second campaign uh, uh, has sort of shifted now to another continent. It's shifted to Wealf, the place that overlaps with the Dream Plane. Mm-hmm. And so I'm slowly developing that. But over quarantine, I had developed about 170 pages of material on Dakaya. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when I go to set a campaign, I'm going to set it in Dakaya. Mm-hmm, because um, you have the most information about right, it. Right, precisely. And the reason I picked Kaizo, um, the reason I picked Kaizo uh, specifically was based out of um, based out of the fact that I was already running another campaign in Dakaya. And originally I had planned to run the campaigns alongside each other. And so what I needed to do is I needed to make sure they didn't overlap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I said, well, what's the best way to do that? I stick them in a temple uh, full of a bunch of people who don't want them to go anywhere. <laughs> and then create a story that is held within that temple. Yeah. Um, and as so far as I remember, those two campaigns are kind of interconnected. They are interconnected in that elements of uh, the Moody and D campaign influence elements of mm-hmm. the other campaign and elements of the other campaign influence elements of this campaign. They're no longer running concurrently. I made a change to the timeline. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't change your timeline, though, obviously, because your timeline is the one that's locked in place because it's on the air. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they're no longer running concurrently. Moody and D takes place before 
um, the other campaign that I'm running, but that's what I did is I, I essentially put them all in Kaizo. I picked Lizard Folk because I had this image in my brain. The, the uh, Lost Temple was originally not necessarily a temple filled with anything specific. Um, it was a temple filled with, uh, it was just originally a temple to what was uh, considered to be a dragon god. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously not an actual god, but considered to be a god by whatever happened to be there. Lizard folk are natural worshippers mm-hmm. of dragons in Dungeons and Dragons lore. Mm-hmm. And so they were the natural choice for that space. Um, and so that's sort of how we got to where we are. That's that's all the behind the scenes that came into developing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just a matter of fleshing out the people there. And I had done a little bit of that before because the um, all the people in, Kaizo, in Kaizo, uh were actually brought up as well when I created... I, started, I homebrew a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the first subclasses I homebrewed was a homebrew subclass called the Blood Hunter Dru- Order of the Druidic Templar. Mm-hmm. Which were a uh, subclass of the Blood Hunter class by Matthew Mercer that used their blood as fuels for natural magics, mm-hmm. uh, like a druid would. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, who's going to be doing that? Probably lizards. And so I took those ideas and sort of just muddled them all together and threw them in Kaizo. Yeah. And that kind of ties into another question, if you guys don't mind, yeah, that I had about the society in Kaizo itself. Yeah. Um, and I feel like some of the gospel themes come out here. What really is their philosophy? How did why did you give them that kind of personality? Uh, what philosophy are you talking about? There are a just, lot of different societal just, philosophies. Just like their philosophy of peace and um, and kind of quiet and nonviolence. Yeah. So that actually comes from a couple different places. Um, first thing it comes from. Uh, they get their philosophy of peace, nonviolence, etc. And I'm announcing this on this show because I already announced it on Collateral Creatives. But only wo- I've got a system of pan- I got a pantheon in my uh, world of nine quote unquote deities. Only one of them is real, hmm. and that one is sort of a, if you will, look at Aslan. Not mm-hmm. like it's 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 a human facsimile of attempting to express God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is that one deity, and that's the deity that the lizard folk follow. And that was mentioned in a couple episodes, actually. Um, and so that's where they get that. And that's that's my way of being able to say these people have Christian values because they follow essentially uh, my expression of the Christian God. Yeah. In order to put him into fantasy without out with, again, you know, again, our goal here is to reach non-Christians through Dungeons and Dragons. I'm going to lose a lot of Christians if I say they worship uh, if they worship Yahweh. Yeah. I'm going to lose a lot of lot of lot of non-Christians listeners yeah. if I start openly saying yeah they worship the god of Christianity mm-hmm. but if they so, worship the essence of the god of right, Christianity precisely. and I mean if you look at Chronicles of Narnia mm-hmm. so many people have read that so many non-Christians know about that and they can kind of pick up on the Christian elements of that and Chronicles of Narnia is one of those ones that like most people know it's Christian in essence mm-hmm. but non-Christians have read it and so taking similar ideas to the way C.S. Lewis approached that, um, or even like if you look at C.S. Lewis's Till We Have Faces, mm-hmm. where he retells the story of, um, oh goodness, uh, he retells the st- uh, story of, I believe it's uh, the Greek or the Roman deities, um, and uh, he uses other gods as ways to express the reality of our god. Mm-hmm. And so taking a similar route, that's how I came up with the concept of the lizard folk and so that's where they get a lot of their philosophies mm-hmm. is from their christian values mm-hmm. it's it's christian values re-expressed christian in order, lizards right to <laughs> in order to express it 
uh, to a non-Christian audience. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's great. I love it. Yeah. And it, it was kind of one of the first things that struck me about the society was just kind of their their philosophy, but it really didn't ring through to later episodes. Yeah. And I'm not going to say much about that, but yeah, some of the conversations that Adra has had with other people yeah. have kind of rung that into me. Like, oh yeah, this is where we're going with this. Yep. Yeah, where there is a very clear, like, presentation of christian values and all that yeah and so that's where that came from was that and like that was the big thing i have in my notes mm-hmm. for dakaya literally the entire first page is what time of year it is in the big campaign that i run outside of moon deity and uh a very long paragraph describing my theology behind why i built the campaign this way reminders to myself to keep the campaign mm-hmm. and to keep the world that way because mm-hmm. I wanted to approach this as theologically upright as humanly possible. Yeah. And so that's where that came from, was my desire to do this as well as I could. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I have a question for Reese. We're just going to keep asking okay, you all sure. the questions. Now that we've got a circle going, let's do it. Yeah. So since you're the DM, yeah. Um, as you finish the second episode, were you nervous of a possibility of a party split? What are the options of exploring the temple? I put dungeon. I don't know why I did that. No, you're good. Um, could you go into the strategy of being the DM and going through these newish characters and interacting with them? Yeah. As you were possibly pondering that. Yeah. yeah. So if I could just tag something onto that. Mike, one of the questions that I have is very similar to yours. What did you think when you saw our party at first? Okay. So <laughs> when I saw your party at first, like I saw everybody's characters before we actually got in the room. Because I got to work with everybody on building their characters, obviously. So I knew kind of what I was walking into. I didn't realize how how evil you intended to play Klaus or how like in that in that corner of the alignment chart. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. necessarily evil, but like unpinnable within that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I did not realize um, how young Audra was going to be. Because Prof Mac and I decided that 12 minutes before we started recording. Yep. She, I was like, how old do you think she is? No, we decided that in recording, actually. I remember. No, because y'all were talking about it. I yeah. listened to it the other day. I was like... Yeah, I was like, how old do you think... She's a child. <laughs> yeah, no, she's 15. Uh, she's 16 yeah. now, but she was 15 at the time. And I was not expecting her to be playing Audra as such a young character. It kind of uh, makes sense, though. Yeah, it really does. But I wasn't expecting it. Um, and Ima, I did not expect... Like, I knew kind of what Sam was going for, because I was, at the time, I was in Sam with three, I was with Sam in three campaigns. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of knew how Sam played, but Ima was just way out of left field. And so my concern was less, um, I wasn't really worried about them splitting the party. Uh, I sensed that, because I was like, "Uh, this would have been a great spot. There there were elements where I was like, they could have split the party, but there were a couple things that I knew were going to keep them together. Firstly, Adra is hooked to Ima mm-hmm. at the hip. They, that's how they were. Um, and Klaus uh, generally looks for anything that can do the fighting for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ima was an immediate fast track to that. And so I knew so long as Ima was in the party, they would stick together, which is why I also knew that when uh, Ima died, and I'm just going to say that now because this is post that episode. I didn't want to say something yeah. so bad. So mm-hmm. I knew that when Ima died, uh, that was going to split the party. I knew that was going to do that. And and it did. And it did. It did precisely that. And so we had to make adjustments. But my big fear was not that they were going to split the party. My big fear is that they were going to split town. 
that they were going to charge into the mist and try to explore the world outside. That was my big fear. That was my, when we came into actual session one, mm -hmm. that was what I thought we were going to do. I like was I, hoping y'all were going to do that, but you guys kind of like, what? Yeah, and that that's that's why I was I was a little sad when we walked into the dungeon because I was like, oh, all I can do is be deceptive and persuasive. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be in control. Like, I've done this. See, that was one of the things that I found most interesting about your characters. You immediately you went College of Eloquence. Yep. And College of Eloquence is really only useful when you're talking to people outside your party. Yep. And then we put you or in Or if you're trying to be very secretive with your party. That's true. And then we put you in a dungeon with nobody but your party. Yep. Um, and part of that was just I wanted to force them to interact with each other. I oh, wanted yeah. to help them develop their characters, especially because I knew we were only going to get 11 episodes. And those 11 episodes are only about an hour long each, yep. which means about 11 hours of party interaction. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to make space for us to actually start doing some real character work um, and then also do the classic Dungeons and Dragons, uh, delving into a dungeon. Mm -hmm. um, and cetera. interact we did. Right. Oh, yeah. Right, and so that was really—I uh, wasn't—I wasn't ever afraid of the party splitting. Yeah. I knew they would stick together so long as they had Ima, and sure enough, they did. Yep. So, yeah. No, I honestly—the more I think about it, the more I love how I—I I listened to the first two episodes for the first time, and I didn't realize how little we really knew about our characters. Yeah. And even to—even to this day, like Friday, we're going to be recording today, Thursday, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Friday, we're going to be recording another episode, and I'm adding a new thing to Klaus's character that I just thought of oh, like, really? a couple oh. days ago. It's nothing big. Cool. I'm, I'm all for it. I love it. But yeah, it we keep. It off as nothing big. Yeah, we keep deepening and making those characters more and more complex. And I feel like that time in the dungeon gave us that possibility to yep. not only develop those connections and relationships between each other, which we're going to talk about later on, yeah. so I don't want to mention on uh, mention them right now but also kind of to flesh out our characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what Adra was session zero and what Adra is now are such monumentally oh, different so characters. Different. So different. I listened through episodes one and two and I was like, that can't possibly be Audra. Right. Because there's been so much character progression for her, uh, not just over the first 11 episodes, but then also over the year gap between arcs one and two. Mm -hmm. And it's just, yeah, it's crazy. Yep. So, yeah, I love it. Sorry. Oh, you're good. Grease, do you have a question? Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm just going to move right on along. I <laughs> absolutely do. Um, so, let's see. You know what? Okay, this is a quick question. I, w I just want to ask this because it was like one of the only ones I got for episode three. You remember when you tried to cast Earth Tremor up against <laughs> the wall? I I was laughing so hard yesterday. This is when I was rewatching it. I yeah. well, listening, not watching. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just say, compared to Reese, Reese is like the D and D knowledge and rule god with a small G. <laughs> He is Thank a D&D book in human form. Yes. Look, okay. I, is, I'm just going to say this because it's super embarrassing, but it <laughs> proves their point. I create a new Dungeons & Dragons character basically every single day. Mm -hmm. Can you make me one? I want to see what I would end sure, up being. Sure, sure. I can make I mean, one. we're going to be playing a one-shot with my D&D group where I'm actually going to get to play, and yeah. I already created three characters for yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, one is a cleric turtle. Oh, I love it. I, <laughs> I love, love it turtles so much. So much. Portal? The tortle? Turtle. Turtle. It's a race. 
it's like they took the word turtle and tortle or tor- tortoise, put them together, and made it's it a turtle. So is it like a teenager turtle? No, uh, no, it's well, no, it's a, not a teenage mutant ninja turtle. I um, wish. But yeah. it's, it's like a humanoid turtle. I, anyway. I love it, but yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, compared to Reese, I am a complete noob, especially the first couple of episodes. That was really my first time actually playing D and D, and yeah. so I had not really read through all the spells. And I, all I have at that point is a very general knowledge of how the spells work and how the mechanics work right. and my own imagination. So I, I, and I keep confusing Earth Tremor and Thunder Wave. And, <laughs> and you can see yeah, that in the first couple of episodes. Oh, yeah. How I keep confusing the two. So I thought Earth Tremor worked from where I was. I create a tremor in the earth and push everything away from me. Right. That's wrong. That's Thunder Wave. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought if I put my feet up against the wall, it would create cracks in the wall where my feet are. Okay. And th- we could then just kind of punch through it. Right. Um, that's obviously not how it worked. No. Right, no. And Reese made me aware of that. It was kind and of funny. Yeah. It was yeah. It was very much like... Why, why are you making me do a deck save? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but no, so my actual question was just, why'd you take Earth Tremor? Because I have looked at the Bard spell list. Mm-hmm. I've looked at everything they can do, and that's it's it's in the Bard spell list, but it's a very non-traditional Bard spell. Because I thought it was better than it is. Okay, that's the... <laughs> Reese is proving our point. He is a D&D book. Yeah, I just, like, I knew there were so many other spells you could take. Like, you could take Charm Person at level one, which, you know, works really well for the build that you were going for. It and does, so, not in the scenario that we were in. That's true, not in the scenario you were in. And so Earth Tremor was just a confusing spell that I was like, interesting. Because there are other, like, damage-dealing first-level spells the bards can take that I was like, Earth Tremor's an interesting choice, but I respect it because it's unique. Yeah. And so I never actually ended up using it, and I did end up dropping it for other better spells. When you leveled up? When I leveled yeah. up, mostly because so, oh, I love all the Bard second level spells. They're so good. I, I'm so sad that I didn't take Cloud of Daggers. It's such a good spell. Yeah, it is. It's such a good spell. But yeah, so Earth Tremor was just kind of my... <laughs> I read I read the description the rough description the the, the rough description and i just thought that it was a lot better than what it was because what i was going for was a little bit of damage for klaus and being able to if i'm being ganked up on um escape yeah Yeah. right so that's kind of the spells that i was going for that's why thunder wave ray of frost and different things yeah but yeah it was just me being a (laughs) dum-dum okay cool uh, then this, I just wanted to get that one out of the way because it was a small yeah, question. Yeah. Um, but obviously, this is, this is there wasn't a lot of conversation in the first couple episodes. Mm-hmm. There really wasn't. There was basically nothing. Um, I want to know what was Klaus thinking about, pondering while they were going through down the dungeon, like seeing these people who originally, like you looked at Ima as like a protector, and you looked at Audra as like so probably socially capable. I mean, you obviously recognized her as a child. Oh, yeah. viewed her as a child, but she had proven herself socially capable. And then within the first few hours down there, Ima has broken part of the puzzle and Audra has broken her nose. So like what was what was going on in your head is you're like, like, I I have to imagine there was like a they sent me down there with these idiots. (laughs) That was partially what Klaus was thinking about. But Klaus was um, and I can reveal that right now because it was just his thought process. All Klaus wanted was to get to the end of the dungeon okay. to find the source of the skeletons and become their lord. Right. 
You just answered one of my questions. My, I'm just gonna say it. My next question was for someone, for like Klaus, for someone who has the desire to be the best and last man standing. Why did your character try so many dumb, no funny things? <laughs> uh, could you give me? Could you give me a couple of examples? Earth tremor. Um, Earth tremor is a prime <laughs> example. Yeah. yeah, I mean. And I, then you wanted Ima to pick you up, and then drop you. I didn't want him to drop me. He <laughs> dropped me. Uh, he dropped me on his own volition. But and you didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I mean, mostly because I myself didn't see that coming. <laughs> but um, I saw it come from a mile away. <laughs> I was like, "How else is he? I'm, I?" I always like effed, since that point, I've always viewed Klaus as like a cat. Like you just sort of throw them and they land. I always saw it like because like the first time I'm a, like dropped you, you landed like a cat. But like the next time, like you did like a flippy thingy and yeah. you like land on your hands, you made it somewhat graceful. But I'm like, he's not gonna keep getting this lucky. He's going to get hurt. That's the thing with Klaus, um, and kind of with me as a person as well. It's not necessarily about always succeeding. It's about always making like it look like he succeeded or other people failed. Interesting. Um, even with like later episodes when Adra and then Bran are trying to mess with Klaus, he doesn't he doesn't give them the satisfaction of feeling like they messed with him. He always I appreciate that. He always tries to come <laughs> up Yeah. What does that reveal about our host, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> Reveals many good things. Sorry and guys. So it's Get not always me. about winning. It's about making sure that other people lose. And that's kind of the philosophy that Klaus is going into all of this with. Mm -hmm. So he didn't care if obviously Aima turned out not to be the strong protector that he thought he was. And Adra, he never had much faith in Adra. Um, all he wanted to do is get to the end of the dungeon, find the source, and either become lord of the source or over time take over the source. Or be the hero in the end of they both died and you're like, see? Yep. Yeah, just kind of be like, he didn't care if they come out of the dungeon alive. Right. It's, yeah. It's self preservatory. At the beginning. Yeah, it's kind of, it was very self preservatory. Right. It's like a Slytherin mindset almost. Right. Now, kind of bouncing off that, towards the end, you did start to care whether Ima came out alive. <laughs> yes. I didn't know if we wanted to talk about that. Well, I mean, it's it's rooted in Klaus's backstory and in Klaus's character. I don't necessarily you, want to yeah, you don't talk have to too much about anything. it. Yeah, you say backstory stuff and that's it. But seeing Ima and certain things that Ima did changed Klaus's perspective on him. Okay. And I also kind of just wanted Klaus to have something new to hold on to. Yeah. Yeah. So now, did you originally view Ima as just like a mindless robot? Yes. Okay. And so seeing him be a person, was that what changed that mindset? No. No, interesting. A person... A person is just another flashback. Another minion in the... Yeah, I think like Klaus. Yeah. yeah. Another another minion that you can throw at something for your own right. survival. So no, Ima having a personality did not change that. Okay. Now, you don't want to disclose what did change that quite yet, I'm I assuming? don't. Okay. That's I don't. totally fine. I was just curious. Because even if Prof Mac and Bran listen to this, I know that we don't metagame, and that's one great yep. thing about our, yes. our, our party, yeah. but I don't want to give them that. The capability. The capability, to, or yeah. even the struggle. Yeah, because that. that maintains the mystery of Klaus. Oh, yeah. And if Klaus dies maintaining that mystery, even I'm prepared for that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. 
So I'm gonna reveal Klaus is my favorite, so please don't. Yes! <laughs> bias, bias boast, host, not boast, host. Yes. <laughs> That's what I was going yeah. for. Yeah. Who asked the last question? I, watched... I did. I okay. did ask. I asked the last question. So Christian. Um, since we're already on episode three, um, I have two questions that I can kind of merge into one. Okay. Do it. That darn first puzzle. Yes. <laughs> How long did you think it was going to take us? And what would you have done if I must seal the second palm? Okay. So there's the classic joke amongst uh, amongst dungeon masters in the D&D world. That the best way to come up with puzzles for your party is to Google puzzles for five-year-olds. Yep. Um, <laughs> And it's true. It's true. Because you guys solved the puzzle 45 minutes after inspecting it. Mm -hmm. um, and all it took to solve the puzzle was you casting a first level spell mm -hmm. or second level spell, any leveled spell into one of the palms. Mm -hmm. And the palms would open respective doors. That's all it was. That's all it was. And of course, you guys had to try absolutely every single avenue. I gave several hints that you yep. needed a more powerful magic source. Yep. Several, several hints. I said several times, the the glyphs begin to glow white, start to circle, and then go back down. Or the, mm -hmm. like, and that was for anything pseudo magical. At like some the, point, you even literally said it needs a more powerful source. Yes, I I did quite. <laughs> you did literally say that. Say, I listened to it yesterday. <laughs> it needs a more powerful magical source. And I said that quite deliberately. I expected it not to take that long. I expected you guys maybe to spend five minutes there. So you yeah. spent in, an entire episode on it. Well, even better. In full honesty, I built the entire dungeon the night before. Mm -hmm. I was working until 2 a.m. I expected the dungeon to take the next four episodes. The entire dungeon. The entire dungeon to take the next four episodes. That's something that I learned, and this is completely sidetracking, but that's something I learned as a DM. Yep. Yeah, you learned it very fast. Your party will get through maybe half of what you planned oh, for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's because the dungeon fails to account for social elements. Yep. Completely fails to account for social elements. It also fails to account for backtracking. Yep. I want to poke at something real quick because okay. you and I were talking and like, yeah, my whole goal and most dungeon masters, their goal is to try and kill their party. What? Well, no, the goal is to not kill the party or to take enough time to kill the party that the party doesn't realize it's happening for any of those who are evil DMs. <laughs> Race. I'm not trying to kill the party. No, that's that's I think that that's a terrible dungeon master thought yeah, philosophy. No, okay. Yeah. Your your role as a dungeon master is to facilitate their story. Yes, precisely. Yeah, you are not here to tell a story and you are most certainly not here to intentionally eliminate people from the story. Mm -hmm. uh, except in I must case Sam was graduating. I had to yeah. do something. Um but in all those situations... And it served uh, the story still. Right, and it served the story. Um, but ultimate job of a dungeon master is always to serve the story of the players. It's to help them tell the story they want to tell. Uh, mm -hmm. This is why a lot of DMs, and this is why like even after Session Zero, Christian and I had a lengthy conversation mm -hmm. talking through what he wanted Klaus to be mm -hmm. and any adjustments that he intended to make so that we could most effectively tell the story of Klaus. Mm -hmm. That's the ultimate goal. And so... Uh, that's that's the big thing is it's never to kill the players. Hmm. Um, but yeah, going back to the the statue, I did not expect it to take that long. Under any circumstance, it was meant to be a simple because all you had to do is expend one first level spell slot. Mm -hmm. You had two people in the party who could do that, and you had Ima who had like five level one spell slots at that level mm -hmm. because of sorcery points. So I did not expect it to take that long, but I loved narrating all of your creative solutions. <laughs> but then also I loved when things went wrong. Mm -hmm. Like when I when Ima was like, I'm going to cast mending on it. I'm like, okay, it no longer works. That one is severed. Yep. It's gone. The magical capability has ceased. You need to find a new way out of this room. And if Ima 
got stuck. If I or if like Ima had eventually because we rolled initiative to see yep. he, if he was gonna close that next hand, and if he had closed the next hand, the only way through would have been for you guys to break down one of the doors. Yep. Which would have taken you so long because you all had strengths of ten at the time. Yep. Everybody I mean, I had Ray of Frost, which would have done sun damage, but yeah. it would have taken time. Yep. And so that was one of the things that I was like, if Ima seals it. You guys have to get even more creative mm -hmm. because at that point... Then we already were. <laughs> right. Because at that point, the party becomes desperate. And now you've got to find new ways out mm -hmm. because the door behind them was locked. And the only two doors in front of them would have been locked effectively mm -hmm. at that time as well. But was the door behind us locked, though? That's the, that's the next and last question that I have. The door behind you was locked. Completely? Like, even if we had gone back? You could have forced your way through it and broken down the door. It would have never opened and closed naturally before again. Like oh. it never, it never would have worked properly again. Okay, because I just remember, like from later episodes, you said that there was a button or some way to release the wall that was behind us. Yeah, there was a button. You guys pressed that button eventually, but you didn't have the ability to press it at the time because okay. it was in the, uh, it was in the large, uh, in the control room. room. It yeah, was in the control room. Okay. And so you didn't have the ability to unlock the door at the time, and so for you guys, it was locked. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. So that was that was like obviously. I I did enjoy just selfishly giving you the false hope of potentially being able to go back and then mm -hmm. saying, Nope, you're stuck. Figure it out. Oh no, I figured that we're not gonna have a way back. Yeah. Like that was a given. It was just a fun thing for me to see Audra do that and be like, Oh no, because this fifteen year old for the first time is now actually stuck. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting to see the way her character developed out of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh you kinda answered my question while you're okay. answering his and it was just kind of like how is a DM do you interact with they're stupid ideas, I guess, of yeah. destroying one hand with mending. And you're like, really, dude? Yeah. And so you really just answered it through and through. Well, I mean, yeah. And there is, there's an element of you let them do the stupid thing. Yeah. It's because really because like like we like we said before, the DM is here to facilitate, not control. Exactly. At no point would I say as the DM, no, Sam, don't do that. You will get stuck. I want to do that. I'm like, oh, no, this is not going to go well. So. But I looked at it and I was like. I'm going to let him do that because what it does is it allows them to tell the story that they that they have collectively decided and that's why to tell. Reese is a great DM and then it also uh, forces them to be more creative mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. so much of what Dungeons and Dragons is is when the players come to the end of their rope and they got to figure something so, yeah. something else out yep yeah that was the only question that was actually my last question so Reese do you have a question uh I do have one more um and this is just a small one go for it um this is jumping back to episode two. Mm -hmm. Klaus, your first interaction with Ima. As you were sort of tromping around him, <laughs> you like you had your whole fascination with Ima, which I'm assuming, and I don't think I'm wrong in assuming, was probably just based out of you trying to figure out what he was and how you could use him to your advantage. Yes. Uh, figure out how you could use him to protect. But you had a whole conversation where you were like walking around him and interrogating him. What were you precisely looking for? Because you asked a lot of very specific questions. You were knocking on him. You, you repeated you, questions. You put your your ear up to his mm -hmm. chest. What is it that you were looking for? So, Klaus as a character, and I'm going to reveal maybe a little bit about him, Yeah, has n absolutely no knowledge of the arcane. Mm -hmm. He is arcane within him because that's how magic works for bards. Yep. They manipulate the weave, which is kind of the energy that magic comes from. Yep. 
but that doesn't necessarily entail a knowledge or understanding right. of it. They don't know how it works. They just know they can. They just know that they can do it. And that's kind of how Klaus works. One day he just realized that he can say something and yep. things happen. Which is why they're charisma casters, because mm -hmm. charisma is the stat for force of will. Mm -hmm. And so the, he does it by his will, by his sheer existence. Exactly. And so Klaus, I mean, I was mostly going for comedic. Yeah. Uh, there with like the trotting around and kind of like looking at him, examining him almost like a doctor. Yeah. Examine someone. Um, just trying to figure out every single facet about him, but also just to the little bit of knowledge that he has trying to understand how he could either replicate what he is or gain control over what he is. Yeah. And so that's just kind of the mindset behind Klaus. But fear and power. Yeah. That's 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 those are the two things cuz even money. Klaus doesn't care about money. He cares about like being pompous and being he knows that other people care about money, so he wants to present himself that way. Okay. But he doesn't care about wealth. That because actually, wealth doesn't give power. Yeah. That actually answers another question that I had. I was uh, you mentioned how many rings Klaus has on his hands and I was actually I was one of my questions was was that deceptive intention to make yourself look better or is it a social protection element? And that kind of makes it sound like it's both. Mhm. Mm Klaus is inherently very paranoid. Yeah. <laughs> Although sorry, he's not paranoid. He's just ready. Yeah. Really ready. <laughs> yeah. Um and so the the rings is to snap out someone who might not have the greatest attention towards him. Yeah. It's to fool the simple folk who think that he has lots of wealth and then therefore will follow him. Yeah. It's more of a facilitator of things rather than, oh, look, they're shiny. Yeah. He doesn't care about the rings per se. Right. He still, I mean, he likes them. He stole them himself, but yeah. they're, they're not tied to his identity. Right. Because Audrey's able to steal one. And I don't remember two actually being. yeah yes two but like the first and time you the first time you didn't do anything at all yeah. well and the first time you missed it but the second time you let her mm-hmm and there was a precise reason why I let her yeah to then have leverage on her right right right, right. mm-hmm there you go because and this is this is something that we'll talk about later but Klaus never did anything wrong towards Aima and uh, Adra he never intentionally hurt them at any point that's true he, he tried swinging at it once, but I, again, I had intention behind that. I knew why I was trying to do that. Yeah. You never gave them a reason to not trust him, but you wanted to trust them, I guess. Mm. Or I'm no, not I wanted... wording this the right way. <sighs> Maybe this is going a little too far with everything, but yeah, I mm. never wanted. I never tried to give them a reason to mistrust, to distrust yeah. me. Mm -hmm. But they gave yeah. me all the reasons to distrust them. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because you kind of play Klaus. As, I mean, you've expressed his moral compass is not the strongest thing mm -hmm. in the world, uh, but in regards to all your actions regarding Aima and uh, Adra, you intentionally made yourself uh, effectively trustable. Um, and of course, they didn't trust you. Inherently. Just, right. They didn't trust you. And, you know, this also... You know, this goes into a lot of communication theory elements. Mm -hmm. Like your all of your all of your intonation and body language and all that is deceptive as far as the way you operate. Mm -hmm. um, but it does also. But the only reason you were trustworthy regarding Ayman Adra was because you knew they could also be social protection elements. Mm -hmm. And so there's like it's it's a really weird double sided coin it playing is. playing Klaus who does good things for selfish reasons or does stupid. 
things. <laughs> <laughs> or does things, yeah. Yeah. Or does yeah, just does things for selfish reasons. Yeah. And it's sorry, keep going. Well, uh, that can be interpreted uh, that like you know if we look back like you said he didn't do anything to cause them to mistrust him mm-hmm. but of course they did mistrust him because you know the actions were nearly neutral and then you take that and combine that with the way Klaus behaves and of course mm-hmm. they distrust him but from Klaus's perspective he's like this is the nicest I've ever been to anybody <laughs> <laughs> sometimes and then later on we see how much value Klaus really puts into life. Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know. It just also kind of comes back to me as a person where the more I grow up and the more I kind of look at myself, I see words really mean very little to me. Yeah. Mm. And that kind of reflects Klaus. He can say the most outrageous things. Right. It's about his actions. Yeah. Right. And yeah, obviously later on he kind of proves with his actions that yeah. he certainly is. Right. Yeah. Going yeah. back to the calm theory, like what Professor Cameron's and so many books say like Olol and just so many mm-hmm. the medium is the message yes mm-hmm. and Klaus is proving that that's so true even on this like totally made up world mm-hmm. yep so I just think it's a good thing and also just proves it as in like in scripture like Christ being selfless giving us every reason to trust him because he is God mm-hmm. yeah yeah but then the question at least in my mind is what would Klaus have done if they acted differently Right, yeah. If they were, if mm. they, if they returned trustworthiness for trustworthiness, and I don't think Ima was ever untrustworthy. I think I'm a. What? Do you have something that made? Nope, I'm not saying anything. Okay, here. cool. Okay. I don't recall anything. Me neither. Also, I was juggling everything. <laughs> so. But he was favored towards the 15 year old, so you have to give. I guess I give Klaus some slack on not trusting. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that Ima ever did anything wrong. Yeah. Ima wasn't inherently incredibly distrustful. Right. I mean, Sam was, but Ima wasn't necessarily. Right, precisely. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sam of Sam is. I've played several games mm-hmm. with Sam. Sam tends to play a lot of characters that are like, they're complex people. He always mm-hmm. finds a way to make a complex character, even mm-hmm. from people like he'll take stereotypes and make them complex. Mm-hmm. I don't know how he does it. Um, I've but, never interacted with Sam. Yeah. Only through people, so I wouldn't know this. So this is quite interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, all of his characters are like that, where it's like, there's there's always an element of his characters that you don't expect. Yeah. Um, but Audra, like like you said, Audra was extremely, like, proved several times over that she was not to be trusted. Mm-hmm. Several times over. Stole from you twice. Uh, and especially in class's mind, failed to protect him while he was sleeping. Mm-hmm. That yep. was that was something that happened. That's something that I still mock her about. <laughs> right. And so you know, like like you said, there's there. It's just yeah. I mean, there's so there's so much going on. Mm-hmm. That's one of the beauties of D and D. Yep. Is there's so much going on. And there's so much complexity and beauty in the in just in the storytelling. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I don't have any more questions. Do you have any more questions? Not really, no. I'm out. I did everything. Alrighty. Awesome. That was great. I have not thought of how to end this show. Cool. <laughs> That's the it's one thing I great. haven't think of. So hope you all enjoyed. Please tune in again and bye. See ya. Peace. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Moody and D Gone Rogue. You can listen to the rest of this Moody and D channel on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to follow the Moody and D Instagram at Moody underscore N underscore D. And while you're there, you should drop some questions in our Gone Rogue questions highlight. Once again, I'm your host, Rachel Sanders. Hope to see you next time.